on today's episode of the Real Foodology podcast. A probiotic is a live microorganism that when it's administered in an adequate dose confers a benefit to the host. Well, hello, welcome back to another episode of the Real Foodology podcast. I am your host, Courtney Swan. Today's episode is all about probiotics. I know that we recently had another episode with a co-founder of an incredible probiotic company, but this is another one that you are not going to want to miss. We go over a lot of different stuff that we did not cover in the first episode. On today's episode, I interview Era Katz, who is the co-founder of Seed Probiotic, a probiotic that is changing the game. Chances are you've probably heard of Seed. Maybe you even take it already. I know it is super popular amongst my Instagram community. Just by listening to her talk and listening to her interview, you understand just how much of the research that they dove into and continue to stay on top of while formulating their probiotic. We break down in simple terms just what a probiotic actually is. We talk about microbiomes in different areas of the body. Did you know that your mouth has one and there's also a vaginal microbiome? We dive into that. We talk about what a prebiotic is. We talk about what a symbiotic is, which is what seed is, what makes seeds stand out. We also dive into the impact that all these antibacterial soaps, sprays, gels, et cetera, are having on us and our health and our body. And we really talk a lot about antibiotics and the impact that they have on our health as well. With that, let's just dive into the episode. I hope that you enjoy it. Do you suffer from high stress, anxiety, overwhelm, brain fog, mood disturbances, highs and lows in your energy, headaches, skin rashes, tingling numbness, or poor sleep? I am so excited to introduce you to Dr. Stephen Cabral's HTMA at-home lab test and health coaching call. You get a complete minerals and metals test plus a 30-minute health coaching call. Your mineral levels, which provide you with the energy you need to get through your busy day as well as buffer the effects of stress. No test is better at assessing these levels or looking at potential heavy metal toxicity. No needles or blood, just a few snips of hair will help you discover your underlying imbalances such as low electrolytes or high heavy metal toxicity. Your personal lab results will reflect electrolyte markers like calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, thyroid and mitochondria, copper, hidden stress, manganese, immune and metabolism, zinc, thyroid and detox, selenium, blood sugar, chromium, bone and muscle loss, phosphorus, toxic heavy metals, lead, cadmium, mercury, arsenic, and aluminum. During your health coaching call, you will discuss symptoms, review lab results, and get suggestions, including the following, a supplement plan, dietary guidance, sleep guidelines, stress reduction techniques, detox regimens, and lifestyle changes. The cost is free. You just have to pay shipping and handling. It's a $299 value. To get this amazing deal, go to stephencabral.com slash Courtney. That is S-T-E-P-H-E-N. C-A-B-R-A-L dot com slash Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y. So, well, let's just get started. Why don't you tell everyone a little bit about you and Seed and what it is? My, my name is Ara Katz. I'm the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health. And we work in the invisible world of microbes, um, which means mostly bacteria, but our kind of official mission uh, is to pioneer the applications of microbes for human and environmental health. And to put that in kind of earthling terms, that means looking at how you can use, again, mostly bacteria um, to impact all kinds of uh, aspects of human health, everything from GI um, and uh, kind of gut-related uh, conditions um, and certainly uh, benefits and endpoints, all the way to thinking about um, how you can use microbes to even make novel food ingredients uh, to um, pediatric health, infant health, 
maternal health, uh, vaginal microbiome work, mm. uh, oral microbiome. So thinking about microbes at the mouth, um, the skin microbiome, and then on the environmental side, thinking about um, at, you know how we apply. And, and our first two tracks of research are looking at probiotics for honeybees and for coral reefs. So really looking you know at all these ways that we can harness kind of the potential of bacteria um, to impact the health of you know all living organisms. Um, and ecosystems and ecologies, I'm sure we'll get into, um, mostly in the form of probiotics um, in the more scientific definition, not the uh, United States grocery store <laughs> definition, yeah. uh, which I'm sure we can get into too. Um, but more than, more than just our research, you know, in our, in our innovation work, uh, we also really spend a tremendous amount of time educating and using the microbiome and microbes as kind of this new lens through which we can really understand our bodies and probably most applicable to today, how we use the under, this, these learnings. And, and what's so fascinating about microbiome is that so much of the research and what we understand, and of course, food and diet being so central to this, is that we, we spend a lot of time educating and being able to translate these findings and what we're learning about this world uh, of microbes that also live within us um, and reside in on around us and how that informs the choices we make every day um, because it really is revolutionizing um, medicine, science, health, and certainly just like our lens on the world, which is really exciting. Yeah. I mean, that was the biggest thing for me when I found out that we were more bacteria than we are actually human. I was blown away. And also it just made me realize how um, how much more, how important this is and how we really need to be paying attention to all the stuff that we're spraying, all the antibacterial soaps and gels and all the stuff that we're doing. I mean, it's, uh, we don't, I don't even think we know the full ramification of what we're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're not more, we're, we're about 50, 50 by one of the last science mm. scientific papers counts. That's a, that's a, a stat that gets a little bit sensationalized. Where it comes from was that there were there was a sense that there was a ten to one of microbes, not just bacteria, to human cells. <clears throat> the last paper that we reference um, a lot is the Weiss, from the Weissman Institute in Israel that put us at about fifty fifty, um, which is still <laughs> still extraordinary to think you're half human. Um, and yeah. then what's another stat that gets a little bit sensationalized, but is interesting, um, but shouldn't be kind of maybe overhyped, is that. Our microbial, our microbes express about ninety nine percent, like ninety nine times the amount of genes than mm. our human cells. So, like genomically, there's a lot more genetic material uh, from microbes, which is like a significant amount. The difference is they're not really one to one, right? Like human genes code for really important things, and um, certainly, I think there's ones you wouldn't want to live without. Whereas microbial genes, um, you know, are, are obviously important, but just just different. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for correcting me on that. I had not, I had heard the more sensationalized yeah. <laughs> version of that. So you, I want to clarify this for people, for people, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I want to talk about this more because I don't think that a lot of people understand this entirely. So when we talk about the microbiome, generally people are talking about the gut, but what people don't know is that we have a microbiome in our mouth, in our vagina, um, our skin has its own microbiome. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. So I think, you know, look, rightfully so, it, it, because the research so much started in the gut end of all the ecologies and all the ecosystems that are microbiomes of the body, um, the gut is the most diverse. Um, it probably is the most cross-functional 
uh, which I'm sure we'll get into too. And it's where so much of um, our like our early understanding of microbiome started. So you are correct that the actual human microbiome is the you know, community of microbes that live in, on, and around us, not even the ones like there's something called an exposome too, which is like kind of this microbial cloud uh, that's as distinct as your fingerprint. Um, You know, it's kind of like for anyone who believes in auras, (laughs) it's probably the closest biological explanation for one. Um, But absolutely, you are right that then, then within the human microbiome, that huge community, um, which some scientists put at around 100 trillion microbes, you know, about 38 trillion of which are, are bacteria. We, we then have the nasal microbiome, the oral microbiome, so the, the nose, the mouth. And of course, you know, with, with in, in a COVID world, I think we've become really aware of some of these other ecosystems, which we were before. The skin, the vagina, the belly button, <laughs> the eye, oh the optical microbiome, the ear, you know. And, and, um, and even, by the way, like certain, the nip, there's a nipple microbiome, Um, there's certain tissues that they're starting to discover have their own microbiome. Um, there's some early evidence to suggest that, uh, the brain, uh, may or may not have micro, you know, may or may not have microbes, which is something that's still being kind of looked at. Then there's of course the, like from a pregnant pregnancy perspective, there's a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, you know, dispute in science as to whether or not there's a fetal microbiome or whether or not the womb is sterile. And so, each one of those ecosystems, which is most important to take away, is that they're totally different, which means that, you know, there's like 700 species of microbes in your mouth that are totally distinct from the species that you find on your skin. So if you think about like the environment, you think about like a desert and then you think about a rainforest and you think about like a, a, a tundra and then you think about all these different like, you know, ecologies that, you know, in different um, biomes our bodies are truly no different, uh, which is really interesting. And each one is so distinct. And so the gut, yes, people just say, when they say, when they say microbiome, typically today they mean just like gut health or gut microbiome, but really actually all of these other fields are emerging that are incredibly impactful and important. And to your point about like the things that we're, that we've learned about the environment and the way we live in a modern society, each one of these microbiomes is impacted very differently. There was just an article this past weekend, a huge study that came out around the effects of climate change on preterm birth. I saw that. And preterm birth is directly impacted by the vaginal microbiome, or mm. there, of course, play, the vaginal microbiome plays a role in preterm birth. And so you can just see how, and of course, I could get into skin and laundry detergent and home cleaning products and obesity. And, you know, there's all kinds of correlations that we're starting to see um, with, with each of these microbiomes, not just the gut. Yeah. So what... What I'm curious about is uh, when you take an oral probiotic, does that just help your gut microbiome or will those bacteria strains also help the other microbiomes around your body? Or are there specific strains you should take for specific area, like different microbiomes on your body? It's a great question. I mean, kind of like what we did with microbiome, we should probably just define what a probiotic is first. Yes. Um, Because it's, it's it's a term that is so misused and misinformed. Um, and then I think also really important to denote, I don't know how much of your audience is U.S. versus uh, overseas, but mm. in the EU and other places of the world, like um, Japan and Australia, there's very stringent definition and uh, a, a regulatory around the use of the term probiotic. And it's a very specific and very protected and stewarded term. Um, in the U.S., unfortunately, it is not a regulated term. Hence, of course, the 
uh, probiotic tortilla chips, chocolate, um, pillowcases and all kinds of home cleaning products. And so, you know, it's hard. So, so it's even doubly confusing when you're standing in front of that aisle because now you're standing in every aisle and you're seeing the term probiotic and what it really means, which was defined actually by a panel, a UN WHO panel, uh, that started in 2001. And then the, the definition was revised again in 2011, which was led by our chief science, one of our chief, chief scientists, Dr. Gregor Reed s- states that a probiotic is a live microorganism that when it's administered in an adequate dose confers a benefit to the host. Mm. And if you unpack that live, meaning it's, it's a live microbe. So there's a lot of things, a lot of skincare who say they're probiotic skincare. For example, they're using lysates, which means that they're dead, dead bugs, essentially dead, dead microbes. Um, live meaning also, and, and there's obviously a lot of uh, variability in how people interpret this, um, but that you can demonstrate some aspect of survivability through, through the body. Um, then of course the notion of an adequate dose, which means that it's been studied in some sort of clinical setting to establish a dose of how much should be taken. Again, another loophole that a lot of, because it's not regulated in the U S companies just add microbes to say something's probiotic with honestly no, no, uh, specificity as to which strain of bacteria, uh, nor how much. Um, and then of course confers a benefit to the host, which is that's you. Uh, in this case, a human, um, although it could be a dog, it could be, you know, other organisms. Um, and that means that it has some sort of biomarker that's been measured to confer and an endpoint that's been measured in some sort of clinical work. And so when you put that all together, you know, probiotics are a pretty serious field of science. When it goes through FDA trials, they're called live biotherapeutics. Um, but when they're sold as consumer in, under kind of more the consumer health umbrella, uh, or regulatory band, it's called a probiotic, at least in the U.S. And so that's what a probiotic is. And so just to unpack that in terms of your question, every str- like putting all probiotics together is like it would be like saying to you, uh, <laughs> "I like food," <laughs> with no further specificity, or like plants with like absolutely no specificity of like what it is, um, which one, what you, which are you talking about? A bag of chips? You're talking about like. A, a pepper, you know, it's, it, it, there's thousands and thousands of strains of bacteria. And so what strain is it? How is it being in, how much, how much is somebody consuming of it? What is the delivery method? How, how is it going into the body is where, where is it getting to in the body? Um, and what was it studied for to have an endpoint for? So it's very hard to answer your question with this like blank canvas approach because every strain is very different. Now, now, a lot of the early research, kind of like why microbiome means gut health, so much of the early research in the field was around GI and like localized benefits in the GI system, particularly related to digestion, because a lot of the early research came out of relics. These, a lot of the strains that were kind of relics of the dairy industry. Um, and so a lot of, and of course it was very easy, easier to study stool than it is to like go inside the body. So yeah. There, and so a lot of the early research and, and the most robust amount of research has been done on like digestion. So everything from the strains that have been demonstrated to reduce antibiotic associated diarrhea, all the way to some of the strains, for example, that we work with that have been n- noted to very specifically trigger, for example, the neurotransmitters uh, that triggered motility that help with like moving stool along, for example. Um, and so every strain, I would just say the specificity really matters. It's kind of like you, you know, if you go back to like sixth grade bio and you remember the taxonomies, it's like 
a lot of brands don't even tell you what strain it is. They just say the species, which is the equivalent of like having a dog and not knowing it was a, um, you know, a poodle, <laughs> and which would be strange. Uh, but I would say the specificity matters. And then to your question of, can they have an impact? Can oral ingestion of a probiotic supplement have an impact beyond the gut? There's, I think one of the most interesting things is that there's a number of strains. I mean, certainly there's a lot of sensationalization around this, right? Like a lot of people say, take this probiotic for skin health or take this probiotic. I think the, the one of the more, um, the areas where I think we're, we really feel that the oral supplementation of probiotics has been the most inflated is for women, especially has been around the idea of um, vaginal health and the idea that oral supplementation of probiotics and, and how that could work even geographically and and there and there's some evidence to suggest but I think we feel that's one of the looser areas that have been suggested around like uh where or an example where oral oral supplementation may not be that impactful however there are very specific axes um I think one of the interesting parts of the gut microbiome that's so exciting is that you know I feel like every day there's some new axes we're starting to understand so there's like the gut lung axis and so understanding the relationship between the gut um, and our respiratory system for example um, there's the gut brain axis which another area that um, the research is incredibly exciting and promising but certainly from a consumer and um, opportunism perspective has also been a bit over over inflated but of course nonetheless incredibly important when it comes to food really really important for sure yeah. um, and then there's like the gut skin axis so there are certain things for which, ingesting a microbe would not have an impact um, on uh, on very specific skin conditions. And then there's areas, for example, um, uh, things like eczema, psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, where there's really promising uh, strains, uh, specific data around how that, that specific microbes, when ingested orally, can dampen specific in, uh, inflammatory responses responsible mm. for some of those flare-ups and for some of those conditions, those topical or, or you know, externally expressed conditions. Um, we, we have a, a couple strains in our formulation uh, of our adult symbiotic um, that include, uh, for example, um, uh, strains that dampen that inflammatory response. And then there's the gut-liver axis, which is another really interesting area for us because um, that is the axis by which a couple of the strains we work with um, impact cardiovascular health, in this case, cholesterol um, reuptake into the body. And so on the gut-liver axis, there's microbes that can work to dampen and actually like reduce the reuptake of circulating cholesterol. Um, so that has obviously cardiovascular benefits. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, even though it happens in the gut, there's a, you know, probably very relevant for our, you know, any conversation around nutrition or diet um, or, you know, is, is that, you know, the gut also is responsible for, and there are now certain microbes that we've started to see that increase the metabolic activity for synthesizing, you know, very specific vitamins, for example, and compounds that your human body cannot make. So like specific B vitamins, vitamin K, for example, which your human body is incapable of making, um, but has to be made um, by microbes. And so there's specific microbes that we're starting to now study that can inc increase that activity, um, meaning increasing the endogenous production of those um, vitamins and really specific and important compounds. So that does happen in the gut, but of course, 
that has implications. And of course, some of the short chain fatty acids that your gut um, metabolizes also uh, from food um, also has implications, you know, way outside the gut and, and really has systemic benefits. So both microbes that can work on the different axes and have an impact internally and systemically, um, as well as what your microbes do with certain compounds that then have impacts, um, you know, around the body as well, um, which all can be and are, are starting to be seen to be influenced by not just your resident microbes, but the ingestion of or supplementation of very specific strains of bacteria. Wow, that's fascinating. I actually haven't even heard that yet. A, a lot of what you have been talking about today, I'm blown away by, which I've, this is my favorite part about podcasting is I learned so much. Um, that's fascinating. So well, as a, as a or, non-scientist working uh, in, in a life science company, I get to learn a lot every day too. I, I of course, have a lot of domain expertise now in our world, but um, honestly, the science moves so quickly uh, and there's so much, there's kind of always more layers of depth to it. So I, 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 I feel the excitement <laughs> that you do now on a daily basis, uh, truly, because it's such an exciting field. Yeah, it really is. Because like you said, I mean, I feel like more than anything else, this field is exploding right now because we have really started to understand the impact that it has on our health. And it's, it's exciting that we're learning all this cool new stuff. Would you like to do more but stress less? You know, one of the biggest keys to productivity is to make sure that you reduce your stress because when we're stressed out, I can speak from personal experience that if you're too stressed and too overwhelmed, you can sometimes almost become like paralyzed in your overwhelm and then you don't get anything done. This has been my story for years. I have always really struggled with focusing and then I try to overcompensate by chugging coffee and then I get hopped up on coffee and super jittery and then I can't do anything because then I'm so stressed out I can't focus on anything. This is actually something that James, the founder of Magic Mind and I speak about on our podcast together. So if you guys have not checked that out, I highly recommend checking out. He gives amazing tips on how to become more productive. And one of those ways that he and I have both figured out how to become more productive is by taking Magic Mind. Magic Mind is a little matcha shot that also contains adaptogens and nootropics that all target and help with productivity and focus. There's, of course, matcha in there, so you get a little bit of caffeine, but matcha also contains L-theanine, which helps to calm you down, so you get kind of a cleaner energy without all the jitters. There's also things like lion's mane mushroom, rhodiola, there's cordyceps, and there's also choline. All of these things are going to help with cognitive function and are just going to help keep you focused and balanced so that you can get through whatever tasks you have at hand. They gave me a code for you guys to use. You're going to save 20% off if you use code realfoodology at magicmind.co. That's M-A-G-I-C-M-I-N-D dot C-O. So what are some ways outside of taking a probiotic that people, um, let's, let's take it two different routes, either ways that they are destroying their microbiome and then what are ways that they can, um, support it? Sure. So, you know, so I think destroying is obviously like a really, a term that I would just put very large air quotes around because I think, you know, again, it's another area that gets a bit sensationalized in certain ways that with, without any kind of the nuance added to it. But, you know, there's some really big ones. The indiscriminate use of antibiotics um, is really important to consider. There's about 251 million prescriptions of antibiotics written every year in the United States, mm. over half of which are for things that have no bacterial origin. 
And the overuse of antibiotics is, is really challenging for a number of reasons. So first, from like an individual perspective, of course, um, you know, particularly for broad spectrum antibiotics, it's kind of like nuclear bombing, you know, your gut pretty consistently. And there are a lot of people who are on pretty consistent regimens of like antibiotics, multiple courses per year. Um, and so it's not that one once in a while, particularly look, antibiotics will save your life in the right moments. And they're one of the greatest inventions yeah. <laughs> uh, that I think of modern medicine. So I'm not, you know, and, and, and certainly there's lots of antimicrobial compounds also in in, you know, everything from oregano oil to all, you know, all kinds of food compounds too. So, you know, antimicrobial itself is not just something that comes from uh, medication, but certainly taking a beat and or not just using them more prophylactically or preventively uh, and making sure they're, they're needed is something that I would say is incredibly important, both for your own gut um, which we have, we are actually, we have an interesting trial going now, and there's a lot of people who've been looking at the impact of the, or the, the recovery time of a microbiome, of some, an individual's microbiome in the presence of broad spectrum antibiotics. And, you know, it's not as, I think, again, it gets a little sensationalized because you do see a rebound effect. Um, but of course that, that rebound and that resilience has to do with so many other factors like diet, nutrition, any other underlying, you know, co you know, comorbidity, other, you know, other things that are going on with somebody. So, I think it's more the volume of how much they're being abused. Um, but then, of course, the biggest problem with antibi over antibiotic overuse is antibiotic resistance, which is that now that our antibiotics are starting to not work. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that poses mm -hmm. a much greater threat. Um, some, I will, not, I will not be the doomsday podcast, but I would say some say that maybe our downfall as humans. <laughs> um, and so I would say that that's probably not just for yourself, but also the overuse is something that then creates and trains these anti you know, microbes to be more resistant um, and therefore not work across the population. And so as they're intended. And so of course that has other big problems for us down, down the road. Yeah. Um, I'd say, you know, and then, and then of course, just staying on the antimicrobial track, I think there's, you know, and, and this is a really nuanced part of the conversation, particularly with COVID, um, which is, you know, I think we've had over a century, if not more, of pretty much being fairly obsessed with killing all bacteria and all microbes. Um, you know, you can go back to uh, ads from like the Earth of 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, particularly like house cleaning ads and, you know, even women's health, vaginal health ads uh, back to the 50s and 60s that you couldn't, wouldn't, you couldn't believe existed at that time yeah. of the notion of killing all bacteria and, and particularly from the place of hygiene, odor, you know, a lot of puritanical rooted ideas of what being clean and what that meant was. And of course that created, you know, industries that um, really loaded both foods our cleaning products, our homes, and our lives—the um, way we—the way we thought about oral microbiome as like killing in, entire ecologies. If you think about it, it's not dissimilar to what we've done to the environment, right? Like everything, you know, pesticides have you know analogies with the way we've thought about everything from skincare and treating acne to treating you know mouth, to mouthwash, right? Um, and so that in itself, this notion, and, and certainly having decades and decades now, centuries of a history of just killing all microbes has had a cumulative effect. Um, there's a great book uh, by one of our, our advisors called um, Missing Microbes, which is this really looking at tracking the correlation of how over time between a lack of fiber in our diet, 
um, which I think is one of the next ones I could call out. Uh, plus, obviously, all the things I just mentioned, like antibiotics and the, you know, the antimicrobial and hygiene obsession, um, has correlated with a real drop in the diversity uh, of the ecosystem of our gut specifically. And as that, um, you know, it's kind of sometimes referred to as the climate change of our insides. If you think we've lost, you know, what is it, over 60% of the species of just birds in North America, uh, very similar things have happened, you know, within our, within our gut. And so with less diversity comes less resilience, right? Mm. It comes less um, ability to, um, to tolerate all the, the things that happen out in the world and the information and stressors that come in every day. And, th- and they've correlated that now with the rise of autoimmune conditions, asthma, um, of course, t- uh, all, all of these non-communicable diseases, type 2 diabetes, um, and of course, these, these things that are now killing us more than communicable diseases are. Um, which is we used to die of things that were contagious, yeah. um, and now we die of things that are not contagious, um, and that's been highly correlated with um, the, the the drop in diversity and and certainly certain aspects of our microbiome changing so much over time. Um, but but so that so we have kind of like antibiotics, the kind of notion of antimicrobial, which for people who are at, always ask me the question like, well, we've been sanitize, hand sanitizing for two years now, and isn't that killing all the microbes? On our skin, and you know, the 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 truth is, it's like look, when we started washing our hands before surgery, people stopped dying in surgery. So yeah. you know, it's it, you have to find the right balance. Think, thankfully, the microbiome of the palm and the hand is not really a very diverse environment already to begin with. Um, and truthfully, the 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 cost benefit of of having clean hands. Um, in general, uh, as it relates to the spread of disease and, and germs, um, is probably more better than whatever you're doing to your skin microbiome for the little bit that you're using, you know, hand sanitizer over the course of your life. So, but of course, there's again nuance, and that's very always hard to understand at, <laughs> at scale. Yeah. Um, and so, and then, and then I think there's other things, you know, that that really start to tie in things that are lesser known. So there's. Uh, certain sugar replacements can be really impactful to the gut microbiome. A lot of the sucralosis and um, aspartames and things like that uh, that are that are often used to replace things in foods um, can be really damaging to the gut microbiome. Um, a lot of people don't know, but uh, like antacids and pepsids mm. and tums, those can be can be quite impactful, um, particularly again because people. Uh, pop them. <laughs> there, there's a lot of overconsumption, lot. and we have so many digestive, digestion, digest, digestive issues in our uh, in our culture, or certainly in Western culture, um, that those get quite overused. Um, and then also like um, NSAIDs, so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. So like it just you know we kind of pop Advil like it's nothing too, um, and those also have a, a, a damaging effect on the microbiome. Um, so I think being mindful of medicines, not just antibiotics, I think is something to, to be thoughtful about. Um, and obviously any other strong, really, really strong antimicrobials. So of course, for people who are more um, functional, integrative, alternative, and who, who, who veer more towards the organic or natural world, like even things like oregano oil are incredibly powerful antimicrobials used sometimes in, you know, agriculture or livestock as a replacement for real antibiotics. So, you know, I think sometimes people think, just because something's like from a plant, <laughs> it couldn't ha- possibly be as, as strong, but actually it, it really can be. Um, so garlic too. In general. Garlic yeah, too, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Raw garlic. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, it's always a cost benefit with that because of course, um, inulin is also a great prebiotic, um, which has a, 
a prebiotic effect in the gut. So, you know, with garlic, it depends. How, I would say it also depends how you're consuming it. Too. Yeah. Actually, Whereas oregano usually gets consumed in the oil, you know, for, for that purpose. Absolutely. Well, I, I had a question there actually for um, oil of oregano because I, this is kind of a newer concept to me. When I started posting about oil of oregano saying, you know, I'm taking this while I'm sick, a lot of people were writing me saying like, oh, wait, are, are you sure? Like, I heard that that kills the whole microbiome and it's really bad for you. And, you know, it, so... What what really is the answer there? Like, should we take it when we have a virus, or is it well, too powerful? A, uh, you know, vi- antibacterial won't won't do much. I think from a virus. Yes, sorry, I'm, I meant more. Yeah. yeah so, um, look, I, the truth is, I have not div- dove into the literature, nor has our team to really derive like what would be a good dose of oregano oil. Yeah. On at a given amount of time, like you know, it it, it, it kind of goes back to the probiotics question, um, which is well, how much, how long, when in the presence of what symptoms and would you know that it's bacterial or, or viral and would that do anything? And I think, um, I, I do know it has been studied. I just honestly have not dove as, as deep into the literature on that to really understand the specificity. Yeah. Um, other than just to say that it is used as an antibiotic, a broad spectrum antibiotic. In, and, I, and I know specifically in like livestock and certainly in other areas. Um, but it's strong. <laughs> so I think because it's natural, people just like literally just like keep dosing it into their mouth, you know, like every day for like six days and being like, yeah. it's work, you know? And, and so it is a little bit hard, but I would say I would veer on the side of caution with things that are indiscriminately antimicrobial. Um, when particularly when, if you, when, when you don't have all the information about what you might be experiencing, um, my guess is that for a fairly healthy person with a fairly resilient microbiome and good immune system generally, and it's just a, it's probably not hurting you. I just, I can't speak to the exact uh, benefits of it yeah. um, in terms of dosage and, and how long, but we're happy to get back to you and put it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. I was just more curious because that's kind of a newer concept to me. And so I, I figured maybe my audience would want to know. So you also touched on prebiotics, which I wanted to talk about because I feel like um, these are probiotics. Everyone by now kind of knows about them. Like you said, you can see, you can find them in drinks and chips and everything else. But prebiotics, I feel like aren't really talked about a lot just yet. Can you explain to people kind of how they can get prebiotics, what they are exactly and why they're important? Absolutely. So, so unlike probiotics, which, and I think they actually get um, conflated quite, quite a bit. Um, you know, prebiotics are not, uh, are not microbial. Um, they, and, and, you know, the, what they, what they, they kind of function in two different ways, which is kind of interesting. I think most people, a lot of people who know what prebiotics are kind of think about it, um, in the first way. Um, but they, they function either as a food source for microbes in your gut, um, meaning they help microbes proliferate, um, or they are a compound that microbes can metabolize into something else uh, that is beneficial for the body. So a great example, um, there's obviously like uh, fiber-based prebiotics where you, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, hear about from like a lot of the food sources um, of prebiotics. There's uh, non-fermentable plant compounds. Um, Those are, those function as prebiotics, which is the like a great example in our adult product, our DSO one symbiotic. The prebiotic in that in our symbiotic is a, is is sourced from the skin of Indian pomegranate. It's a compound mm. called punicalgin. That's a great example of a non fermentable plant ca- compound, which means that 
Um, and for people who are on low FODMAP diets, it's important to, to know because a lot of the ferment, ferment, fermentative uh, prebiotics can be quite um, GI disrupting for people who have yeah. specific conditions or have to be on specific diets. But non-fermenting plant compounds are interesting because um, polyphenol, you know, they, they, in, in this case, punocalgians, obviously there's polyphenols. Ours happens to be biotransformed or metabolized into something called urolithin A. So like they, they get turned into things like short chain fatty acids, which then have other benefits throughout the body. Um, and so there's a couple of different forms uh, of prebiotics. And then I'd say one of the most interesting ones for any moms or, or parents in your audience are, uh, there are others like HMOs, which are these human milk oligosaccharides, um, not to be confused with uh, insurance, insurance groups yeah. for healthcare, healthcare offerings, um, which are human milk oligosaccharides, which are the carbohydrates, about a third of the carbohydrates in breast milk um, are not actually digestible by the human body. Mm. They are purely a food source for the infant's developing microbiome. So you can look at, think about how human breast milk evolved, which is incredible. And I could go do a whole episode with you on the nipple microbiome and the yes. microbes that evolved from the nipple and the microbes that live inside the baby's mouth that go back into the nipple that help digest lactose. Like, I, it's incredible. Wow. But the HMOs are not, like the first prebiotic um, really is the HMO that comes from breast milk. Um, and those are, uh, those are really interesting. Those are, um, oligosaccharides. So they're different, you know, different, obviously forms of, uh, of prebiotics, but, um, they're, they're very often conflated with kind of like microbiome gut health. Prebiotics are sometimes only thought of as fiber, but actually it's not just, which is one form for sure. Um, but obviously there's these other kinds that I just mentioned, which are these really interesting plant compounds that don't ferment and are good for people with on fab, low, you know, low FODMAP diets, uh, as well as obviously things like HMOs, which are breast milk, which is really the OG prebiotics. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. So let's talk a little bit about seeds. So, um, First of all, there's so many different probiotics on the market. How, how does one find a really good high quality probiotic and what does, uh, what does seed do differently that kind of makes you guys stand out? So, I mean, there's a, there's a few different things. I mean, to, to how to find, I mean, it's, it, the answer is in a, in, in a, in, depending on where you are in the world and depending on like what regulatory system you're within, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard question because there really isn't a lot of transparency required of most companies. Um, and it's really hard to know what, what is actually in something. Yeah. Um, and I think there's been a lot of studies to show that even what's on the label is very rarely often reflected in what's in, um, you know, what's in a, uh, what's an actual product and what you're consuming and whether or not that's consistently in the product, which I think is, of course, another problem of, um, you know, kind of the, not the under-regulation, but certainly the under-enforcement of specific regulation, which of course is a problem in, in more in the U.S. than in other places. And so, you know, the first is, of course, the strain, the strain specificity, which I think is just really important, which is, you know, there are just a lot of um, companies that, and, and brands or products that often just add in a microbe or just say that by having a microbe in it, it is a probiotic without any of the burden of having to have the evidence for that. Mm -hmm. And so the hard thing is that, look, most people aren't going to go look up on PubMed <laughs> and figure out whether or not the study's real yeah. um, and, and whether or not it was done. How was it done? Where was it done? Was it just done by the contract manufacturer? Or was it done in an academic setting? Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there, there's, 
there's a lot of nuance even to the things I'm saying because a lot of those, you know, of course, a lot of companies, brands have gotten really smart and now they say this study, you know, very few people can go into a scientific study and then say, well, was this the right dosage? Is this the right strains? Well, how was this conducted? Was it randomized control trial? Was there a placebo? Well, how was this, you know, um, what was the, how was the data analyzed? Who analyzed it? Was it published in a academic journal or is this a study that, you know, and so yeah. there's so much nuance to that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, 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 I can tell you like a lot of the things I would look for, which are, which, which strains there's a catalog on, um, online that's put out by ISAP. So if you do know the strain, you can actually look up whether or not it was studied by a third party, um, which I think is important and happy to send that to you again for, the show notes for, for your, um, for your community. Um, and then, and, you know, and, and I think there's, look, there's one thing that consumers are, well, that maybe not every consumer can read a scientific paper is they're savvy, right? Like there are other cues that you can really pick up on, um, you know, who, how is the company speaking about these things? Does it feel that they're um, using language that has integrity? That's not too sensational, um, are they making any disease claims? Are they using language like IBS? Are they using language like you, know, you can't even say constipation? I mean, wow. you can't. I mean, that. I mean, you have to be. That is. That is. Those are areas in the U.S. that are very clear. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we see things all the time, and we're like, wow, I want to be on the other. Want to be on the other side of that lawsuit, yeah. you know? And also, and also, who wants to mislead people? You know, purposely. You know, and, and, and look, I would. I would say, look, a lot of my. I don't want my skepticism to come off as I think any of this is malicious. I think. Very few companies have put in place a lot of the rigor um, and I think the accountability that we have, but obviously we work the, the level of science and scientists that we work with is something that we feel. Um, and also, of course, the, the way that we really wanted to show up in the world with the kind of accountability, I think, is something that was missing in this industry um, and continues to be something we really would love to steward and inspire other companies to do better um, with. And, and that goes across, that's just that, not just probiotics, but I think there's a lot of areas of health and wellness where... Uh, you have people who are really susceptible to not and, and don't fully understand certain things and therefore are buying products that that may or may not have, you know, the evidence and or um, the accountability for what they're saying. And so, you know, I think there are certainly the things you can look for in the label. Um, you know, we one of the when you ask me what we do differently, I mean, there's lots of things, everything from, you know, the way that we obviously continue to contribute to moving science forward. Right. So uh, a lot of people just license a lot of strains, put them in a product make the claims that the contract manufacturer said was, you could say, and, you know, they're off to more spending their time on branding and, um, and commercialization. And certainly that's a part of what we do because we're, we are a business. Um, but we, we have, you know, our product that is, um, our DSO one daily symbiotic is in four clinical trials right now. Um, looking at really novel other areas of impact. Um, we're always further characterizing, um, how to have more specificity and really fully understand the impact of something. So for a great example is like a lot of people use CFU. Um, you know, you see that big billions number. Um, and really that doesn't mean much because CFU just says, okay, these are the colony forming units that were there at time of manufacture. Um, what you don't know uh, is which one of them are active. Um, and then I think our next, one of the next papers we're going to be publishing is not only are they active and surviving at different time points, which means that like, you know, they survive on the shelf for a particular amount of time. Um, we have survivability data actually beyond the shelf um, all the way through uh, an ex vivo system that demonstrates 100% survivability into the colon that has to do with our delivery system and the way our capsule and capsule works um, and the pr- protection that it offers through uh, digestion. And so we've been able to demonstrate the survivability, which we just published in the paper. 
Um, and then the, se- the next thing that we're really excited about that's going to come out in a paper soon is, well, now that we know they're surviving, do we know about what are they metabolically doing? Are they, act- are they still metabolically active? And I would say, like, you know, when you think about companies that are pushing forward that, that kind of specificity, like, that's the kind of things. And by the way, I look for that in other areas of my life, whether it's buying technology or buying something for my child. Um, those are really important, you know, cues that, you know, there's a company that also um, really wants to be doing great science and really thinking about what the future of a field could be so that you can make a greater impact in health. Um, and so, you know, those are certainly things, I think the testing, of course, the clinical work um, company that's actively engaging in acad- academia, um, publishing, putting things up for peer review. Um, I mean, I think these are cues of companies that I think are following a little bit more of like the life science um, and the rigor that I think the scientific community expects from companies that, that from would like to expect more from um, the companies that are kind of less regulated. And so those are a few of the cues. And then, of course, look, the greatest, the greatest, um, the, the greatest thing to look for and to understand sometimes, which, you know, is outside of clinical work and really outside of science is, you know, um, is it effective and does it help you? You know, and, and sometimes look at that, that's nuanced. That's a whole other episode on everything from placebo effect to the fact that people change 20 things in their life at the same time often. But overwhelmingly, I think you start to have an understanding, particularly at scale, uh, of when some, a, a product or an inter- innovation or, you know, a specific strain, depending on what you're studying, is just very effective for people. Um, and I think that we've, you know, like, we don't share testimonials, but obviously the efficacy of what, at least of our first product and what we've built um, has been well established, even just anecdotally through um, the amount of people that, that respond and obviously how quickly this product has scaled, um, which um, obviously we're incredibly proud of, but more importantly, just really care tremendously about continuing to steward that when, you know, when people write to you every day about their health problems, you can't help but feel so much responsibility yeah. um, to not just, by the way, continue to do what you're doing, but also to figure out how you can then, could that help more people? That's the first question. But also in science, what you're always looking for is why is it doing this? Um, and so the, a lot of our trials and a lot of our work now is trying to unpack the things that people tell us to understand mechanistically, like how could this intervention, even though it wasn't something we studied to begin with, be impacting so many people who have X and when you start to understand that, you can then start to think about like, well, what would that mean for another product or how, what would that mean for a way that we could then make that available to more people who experience X, right? Yeah. And so I think that that's something that's really interesting and um, we're really proud of. And then, you know, I could rattle off all kinds of things like whole genome sequencing and a million tests that we run that we certainly don't have to, that I think are really impactful. And of course, the strain selection. And as I mentioned, we have a really interesting and novel delivery system and prebiotic. But, you know, I think the fact that, of course, we engage in, in peer review science and, and, and with some of the greatest scientists working in microbiome in the world, I think is a, something we're really proud of, but also something we work vehemently to protect every day. Yeah, that's really important. I mean, and, and the product speaks for itself. I have to tell you, I recently did some posts on my Instagram about probiotics and almost every single reply was people asking me what I thought about seed because they loved it. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. I had, I mean, I can't even tell you how many people were writing me about it because they said that they loved it. So I was blown away. I was that's, like, wow, this great. is that's great to hear. And look, I mean, look, I, this is where like my team's always like, you're the worst salesperson. I mean, look, there's responders <laughs> and non-responders to everything. Right? Yeah. 
And I think what you owe, what you look for in science is, you know, what could work today, where we are today from a scientific perspective, um, before, of course, areas in the future where there'll be a lot more personalization. But, you know, what, what could work across the greatest, across a heterogeneous population at the greatest, with the, with the greatest number of responders? And of course, there's always non. I mean, look, there's people who die of Tylenol every year, right? Like, yeah. like there are things that there are non-responders too. Um, but for the most part, I think we we feel really um, confident that uh, the impact that DSO one has had, um, and and we're we're going to be launching our pediatric um, product Amazing. soon too, uh, which has a similar rationale and similar approach to it. It's also symbiotic. Um, we just finished up a really interesting clinical trial there uh, that we'll be publishing also. Um, you know. I think I think it you know it's just very rewarding um, to well to hear what you just said, but you know obviously we get it every day through our care channels and other channels, and that is of course you know what gets lost a little bit when you talk about science is just like the human part of this, which is and you probably hear it all the time from your community around food, which is just yeah. that um, you know when you find something that works, whether it's a specific diet. Um, uh, or a specific product, um, it can really change your life because, you know, your body is such a big part of how you live and operate and do the things you want to do every day. And of course, digestion is something that, um, too many, particularly people in Western culture just really suffer from everything from mild bloating all the way to like full blown IBS and GI conditions that really just like disrupt their lives. And so, um, it's very exciting and rewarding for us to do what we do. Yeah, that's amazing. Can I ask you, what is a symbiotic? You've brought that up a couple times. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. So, so symbiotic is really, there, there's a couple of really formal definitions that were um, drafted by ISAP, which is the International Society um, Scientific Association of Prebiotics and Probiotics. Um, and there's a couple of different kinds. I mean, essentially, the most simple way to understand a symbiotic is if it's a probiotic and a prebiotic together. <laughs> combined. Got it. Okay. Um, but there's a couple of different kinds. There's complementary, which just means that they're included together. Um, but when they go into the, the host, they um, behave a bit differently uh, than what, they, what you would call a synergistic symbiotic, which means that the prebiotic that's included is selectively being used by the organisms that are actually in the probiotic in the probiotic formulation, mm. um, and so they both. I mean, they both work just in different ways, um, and so uh, so there's a couple of different kinds. But essentially, symbiotic is is purely the combination of a probiotic and a prebiotic together. Okay, interesting. Do you guys follow me on Instagram? If you don't. It's at Real Foodology. If you do, then you are aware of my love for Organifi. I drink their green juice and their red juice every single morning. I call it my organic reds and greens. I drink a green juice every single morning just for, for the health of it, for my health. But I used to juice all my vegetables. Long gone are those days that I would have to buy all the veggies juice them every day, then have to clean the juicer and start it all over again the next day. It was such a mess. Don't get me wrong. It's worth it. And if you do it, I'm here for it. And I love that. But it was kind of a lot for me just because I don't really have a lot of time to do that anymore. So enter Organifi green juice and red juice. I love mixing these together because the red juice, in my opinion, tastes a little bit better because it's just more of like a fruity, um, like raspberry, strawberry, blueberry kind of vibe. It also has pomegranate and acai in it. So I mix the two together so that it tastes less like a green juice and it tastes more like a fruity, um, yeah, like a raspberry kind of juice. 
And then what's great about it is that you're getting all the health benefits of all of the greens and the green juice, plus all of the antioxidants and the natural energy from the red juice. There's no caffeine in the red juice. You just get energy naturally from some of the ingredients in there, like the Siberian ginseng, and there's red beet in there as well, cordyceps and rhodiola, which all help to support uh, energy in the body. As always, I love to point this out. My favorite thing about Organifi is that it's USDA organic and it's glyphosate residue free. Glyphosate is a pesticide that is used on non-organic food, but it's also showing up in organic food now. And the World Health Organization recognizes it as something that contributes to cancer. So it's something that we definitely do not want in our bodies. And I love that Organifi makes sure that all of their products are glyphosate free. This is huge. So they gave me a code to share with you guys. The code is RealFoodology, and you are going to save 20% off at checkout. So make sure that you go to Organifi.com slash RealFoodology, and then also use the code RealFoodology, and you're going to get 20% off. That is O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com slash RealFoodology. I hope you guys enjoy. So I heard this recently. Uh, that the majority of the probiotics that we have on the market available to people are just a couple strains that kind of everyone uses. And we're still trying to figure out, and please correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm still trying to understand this, but we're still trying to understand uh, what exactly the strains are that we need that really support our health. Is that true? I mean, it's look, it's, and I'm always weary to say anything that's like so reductive, right? Yeah. Because there's just, there, there are, are you talking about companies from Europe? There's there's 24 strain formulations that I could walk down the street to Whole Foods and look at, you know, and find right now. Um, you are right that many of, there's a lot of redundancy um, in the formulations that are used currently, uh, I would say, in let's just say in the U.S. probiotic market. Yeah. I would not say it's just one or two. Um, I think at this point it's more. Um I would say there's more uh, variability in the fact that they're not used probably in the right dosages, nor do they have any delivery system, um, nor nor are they necessarily tested with like kind of rigor. Um, and a lot of them are made by the exact same contract manufacturers that are licensing out to the same people. Um, and certainly I think I would say a lot of those companies are not doing their work to also discover and identify new strains or new mechanisms of action. Um, but I would say that there are some companies that have put together some really interesting formulations that have been well-studied um, and well-characterized, uh, even in some of their own clinical research. Um, and that is more than one, one or two. Um, but from like a very mass perspective, if you're talking about oral supplementation, yes, I wouldn't say that the landscape is like full of innovation. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would say that um, you know, some of them again ha- have been, those are, those are the strains that have probably been around the longest that have the most efficacy in things like antibiotic associated diarrhea, um, some basic digestive endpoints and outcomes, which is really where the field started, which is why now there's probably like 10 plus years of research on some of those. Um, you know, and, uh, and then of course, you know, what you, what we, there's also the whole world of like, well, what you don't know and, or somebody attributes exactly. some, a benefit in their, in their, uh, body or, um, a health outcome to taking it, but they also change their diet on the same day. And so there's of course that variability too, but yeah, I mean, it's, look, it's not a, it's not a field that is, has, has been a, uh, 
it's been much more a, a field of more opportunism. Um, and then, of course, the strains that are used in things like kombuchas and kimchi and fermented foods are foods that are very good at lactic acid fer fermentation, um, but very few of them are controlled for dose as well as, you know, are necessarily the strains that were then used to see an endpoint in a host, yeah. um, going back to our initial definition. So they're very good at fermentation and they're selected for that. Um, now, the metabolites or what comes out of lactic acid fermentation could be very beneficial for you. So like, I'm not saying, you know, like, I wouldn't say don't eat kimchi or I wouldn't say don't drink kombucha, particularly if you can find ones that don't have a lot of sugar because the polyphenols in those, in, in like a kombucha is pro what a lot of science, our scientists believe is probably where the health benefits are coming from, mm. not from the probiotic effect from the organisms that created the fermentation. And so there's some specificity, you know, to it too. Um, and of course, when, when scaled up and sugar and made, made more affordable and, you know, mass produced, of course, you get a lot of um, corner cutting and other stuff so that it's really hard to say. You'd have to look at each product kind of individually um, to know when you kind of get out of the oral supplementation world. But yeah, it's, it, it is hard to look at. It's, it would be very easy for me to say like, oh yeah, they all suck. Ours is the only one. But, you know, there's, there's a, a lot of people working hard to think about the future of the field. I, I would say maybe not as much in the U.S., but certainly in places like Europe um, and, and places like Japan um, as well, where there's really interesting research. And then to your question about just like, should you be taking this for your overall health? I just go back to the definition, which is like, well, what for what? It's like you wouldn't stand in CVS and like take, you know, pep, you know, Pepsid for a headache. So like, what, what are you, what are you overall looking for? Um, and if it's in general, like just generally improved digestion, you know, I do think there's strains that have been studied that really, even in an otherwise healthy person, um, could, you know, uh, offer, um, digestive benefits that what we hear a lot from people who are very generally healthy and didn't really were like more skeptics is, wow, I didn't, I thought I was pretty healthy and everything was going okay. And, uh, I didn't realize like my digestion could feel like this, or I didn't realize like my poop could be this good, <laughs> this great. Um, or I didn't realize that I actually felt a little bloated after I ate. Now I feel great, you know? So, so, you know, you, you hear anecdotally a lot of different things, which makes sense when you go back and look at the, um, the endpoints and what a strain has been studied for. But I would say overall, like, you know, you wouldn't take a strain that's been studied to dampen the inflammatory response on the gut skin axis for pooping better. Yeah. So I think it just depends on what you're really, what the outcome you're looking for. Yeah. So it sounds like people need to do a little bit of research if there's something specific that they're trying to target, yeah. that they need to just research the strains that, that show improvement in those areas. Exactly. And, and yeah. look, like anything else, and you probably see this with diet all the time, Yeah. Um, sometimes particularly for yourself and for your own body and depending on all the other factors, all the other lifestyle factors that we talked about, um, you know, exercise, hydration, I mean, you know, all these things, I mean, sometimes it is just a matter of experimentation and figuring out what works best for you. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it, you know, you can't, there's, there's, that is of course the greatest challenge in human health is that we have our own experience, our own genomes, our own <laughs> life's lifestyles or, you know, so many other factors that, um, uh, that have an impact on whether or not something quote unquote works. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. Cause I, I talk about that a lot. I'm like, everyone ultimately needs to figure out what works best for them, you know, and it's absolutely. trial and error. Absolutely. And look, science, you, know, you can look, of course, like I think there's certain place companies like ours that look 
want to first understand something from a scientific perspective before it's represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that there's a, a lot of rationale for particularly when you can demonstrate again something in a heterogeneous population, meaning, meaning you can demonstrate that something works across a really, despite your starting microbiome, despite all the people, thing people will tell you about personalization and gut te- poop testing and you need this and that. Like, we, you know, we were really interested in like how these things work um, because I think that when you can understand mechanism and then you can really test for specific endpoints, um, you can be really clear and at least have a lot of clarity that at least in, in a specific setting against placebo, you were able to demonstrate X, right? And that's really important for us. But for a lot of people, they're just happy to just say, well, I'm just going to try, try all this different stuff. And that's, you know, look for someone's individual life. That, that's um, sometimes a really viable uh, protocol <laughs> yeah. to figuring out what helps them. And, you know, I'm sure you deal with this all the time, which is that particularly in the autoimmune communities um, and people who are really suffering, you know, you'll kind of just try anything um, yeah. because, because quality of life is so uh, compromised. Um, and, I, and look, as a, even though we're a science company, we have a tremendous amount of empathy for that um, because it, you really, and I think the microbiome ends up being a place that a lot of people discover closer to the end of their journey sometimes. Um, or, or they are like, oh my God, it was my gut, you know, it was my gut and all I had to do was this, this, and this. And so, you know, I, I think, um, it, it, it's so complex, but also it does that I don't want that to be heard as, and that means every single thing needs to be personalized because that's not, that's the other extreme of it. Um, there are many things that work, you know, across large, large populations. And I think, um, it is just finding about what is that plus, diet and other, of course, so many of the other factors that we talked about. Yeah. So is there anything else that we haven't covered about probiotics or gut health or anything that you think is really important that people know? I mean, I think, um, I think just going back to when you asked me about other things that are important that could impact our microbiome, I think we didn't really talk that much about alcohol and stress. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I can definitely tell you that like, you know, something like alcohol, like directly affects, you know, the integrity of our intestinal barrier, um, and can lead to all kind of increased permeability, which I'm sure you, you've talked about in your, yeah. in terms of leaky gut. Um, but it also can lead to a lot of, you know, dysbiosis in the gut, um, and a lot of, uh, pro-inflammatory markers. Yeah. And so I would say, um, just, you know, I, th- I don't think a lot of people think about alcohol in the microbiome as much. Um, and so I, I would say that that's one that if you needed another reason <laughs> to not drink as much, um, that that's probably a really good one. Um, I'd say stress, uh, stress can actually, like actually within, they've done like really interesting, um, there's a, there was a study a long time ago and don't quote me on the actual protocol, but I remember that they studied the microbiome of people in crowded elevators and you could see even in a crowded elevator, the microbiome respond, uh, wow. which was like fat, which was kind of fascinating. Um, but stress does induce changes in, you know, everything from neuroendocrine signaling and certainly it can alter like even just GI motility. Like you can see when you're stressed, like you have harder time pooping. So, uh, absolutely. Um, uh, I think the, the impact on stress hormones, um, and, uh, and certainly just the understanding that like stress doesn't just impact your human parts, but it actually impacts, uh, your microbial, uh, parts too, which I think is important sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, your microbiome has its own circadian rhythm actually, uh, which is kind of fascinating. Um, and, uh, and, and very much really needs that, that time, um, to both manage stress levels, but also, uh, to, to, to find, you know, 
one of the things about an ecosystem and microbes is that they're always trying to get back to homeostasis. You know, they're trying to kind of stay in that balance. And so um, sleep is not, again, not that you need another, if you just, not that you, that's a new idea, but if you needed another reason why your sleep is important, it actually is important for your gut microbiome. And then a couple, you know, fun ones or, uh, or one fun one is pets, which is that having a dog, for example, increases your microbial diversity. Um, so, you know, and they, and, and I would say lastly, just time in nature, which, um, also has been shown to increase your microbial diversity. There's other neuro, neuroscientific yeah. reasons for being in nature and being outside and sunlight and, you know, all kinds of other, um, uh, rationale for that. But from a microbial perspective, uh, having a pet is a good thing. Um, you know, because you're, you're basically just like exposing yourself to these new microbes and training your immune system and it creates kind of more resilience which is great uh and then obviously the being outside kind of has a similar similar impact yeah i mean that's great because i was actually going to be my last question is how to how do you create a more healthy diverse microbiome which you just answered beautifully (laughs) i would i would say Yes, other than, but I would say all of those. And if I could put like a large number one, it would be, it would be diet yeah, and, um, and nutrition and really diversity of plants and, um, and a lot of the other things that we spoke about for sure. Yeah. Because th- that really is, I mean, the, the American Gut Project, which is one of the largest like citizen science projects done in human microbiome demonstrated that, you know, the diversity of plants and even in a given week correlated with um, an increase in diversity in your gut microbiome. And so um, I kind of can't underscore enough like the impact of, of food. Yeah, food is a really important one and, and you know, kind of the foundation of all of my conversations on this podcast. What do you think about sugar with the microbiome? I mean, you know, look, it depends what, I mean, not all sugar is equal. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, of course, a, a lot of particularly in fruits, um, I mean, I would say for the most part, from a, from a microbial perspective, usually the, the guidance is to be low in sugar preservatives and, you know, processed foods and additives in general, yeah. which is probably, again, nothing new that anyone in your community has not heard. Um, as I did say before, though, there are some sugar replacements that are, that are bad for the microbiome too. So just to be mindful of those, but, um, for the most part, like, I think, uh, you know, for like blueberries and dark berries and these things that are highly, you know, polyphenolic, uh, uh, berries all the way to, of course, some of the more dense nutrient dense fruits that of course have sugar, but you're, you're consuming it with fiber. So, um, it is very different than saying like eating candy, but, um, yes, for the most part, like I think, uh, from a microbiome perspective, the guidance would be exactly the same as probably people who are eating and, and aspiring to more healthy lifestyles in general, which is keep as low as possible and refined sugar and processed foods. Yeah. Well, before we wrap up, I want to ask you a question that I ask everyone on my podcast. What are some of your health non-negotiables? These are things that you do to prioritize your own health. Um, they can be lifestyle, diet, whatever it is, things that are really important to you that you make sure you always do either on a weekly or a daily basis. <laughs> Mine are so boring. They're so ba- they're so basic. I wish I had like some great you know biohacker example for you. I mean, the the fir- the first is I think, and I know this sounds really silly, but people don't talk about it enough. Is like water intake. Yeah, um, it's important. I think hydration is something that is like it's kind of overlooked and actually pretty important, um, and and has impact on like all the things you know a lot of the GI health, of course, a lot of other areas. Um, I think sleep. 
you know, is something that um, I'm always aspiring to be better at, but um, it's something that I've like really, I mean, really, really prioritized. Um, I had a a rough first few years with my son sleep wise. Mm. And I really understood, you know, I, I mean, I understood the science even before that, but you know, when you live through like chronic disrupted sleep, like you really start to understand, like even just the cognitive stuff that comes up and, and I really, um, it really was like a wake up call of like how incredibly important sleep is. Um, and plants, I mean, those are, I mean, again, I'm, it's so boring. (laughs) It's important. I think plants are extraordinary. Like sometimes, you know, I'm like one of those, like in one of those movies where they like, 13 year old gets like really smoked weed and like looks at like a a, a, a vegetable up close it's like this is the most amazing thing you've ever seen but like I really I think plants are I think plants are extraordinary plants nuts and seeds are like if you and when you start to understand the biology of them and how they evolved and what they do in our bodies I think there's just like they're if you can appreciate them I think that it also creates a different relationship to them than like what we grew up with which is like eat your vegetable you know which is like so that you can get dessert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think if you can start to look at them as like kind of what the extraordinary things they are, I think that um, I think that that those three things end up, of course, being like a really important part of my, my life. And also, you know, I think a lot of the things that are fancier that I've tried are harder to stick to um, because they're not so simple. And so yeah. I think sometimes simplicity is really, really important. But those three things and, and exercise are non-negotiables for me. Like uh, you moving your body and like I, I cross train and I do yoga, but, um, but I, uh, I think, I think move, moving your body and, um, both for cognitive function, um, and of course all the other regions and even for your microbiome is like, those things are like, are, are kind of non-negotiables for me on like a weekly basis. You know, of course I yeah. try other cool things and I read science all the time. I'm always like curious, but for the most part, those are, um, you know, and, and obviously outside of that, just, you know, whether it's meditation or just like some space and time, like particularly away from my phone, um, is something that like, I just think for clarity and general like presence is really important. But for the most part, like that's, um, those are the big ones. Amazing. So for everyone listening, where can they find you and where can they find seed? Sure. You can find seed at seed.com. Uh, if you want to see our, um, our, our, the DSO one and, um, consumer uh, products that I mentioned, if you want to see all of our research uh, areas, you can go to seedhealth.com. And if you want to see, um, and learn with us every day, one of the things we love to do is translate science and make it kind of cool and accessible, um, and, and kind of fun and hopefully not trigger anyone's sixth grade biology PTSD uh, which is at seed on Instagram which is you can kind of come learn with us every day and I'm at Eric Katz on Instagram amazing thank you so much I learned so much in this interview I really enjoyed it thank you oh, thank you thanks yeah. for your great questions thank I you thank you Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Real Foodology Podcast. If you liked this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let me know. This is a resonant media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Chris McCone. The theme song is called Heaven by the amazing singer Georgie, spelled with a J. Love you guys so much. See you next week. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and doesn't constitute a provider-patient relationship. I am a nutritionist, but I am not your nutritionist. As always, talk to your doctor or your health team first.